Let's talk about the characters of Revelation. We did not cover this last week, so I want to quickly cover that. And, and on your outline from last week, the back page, if you still have that with you, I listed out 15 different numbers are for you. The characters, first of all, Jesus Christ. The book reveals Christ in such ways as one, like a, a son of man, the lamb, the lion, a male child, the rider on the white horse, and the one on the great white throne. Uh, we have Christ being exalted throughout this, and, 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 and once again, it's about him, all right? Uh, number two, God the Father. He is seated on the throne. He's referred through throughout this book and this story. And then we have three, the Holy Spirit. He is referred to as the sevenfold Spirit of God in chapter 1. Yeah, John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The Spirit speaks to the seven churches and is active throughout the story. We have, we talked about this last week, the Apostle John. He sees the visions, he narrates or tells the story to us. Also, he often shares his feelings and responses to the visions. And then number five is the seven churches. Jesus speaks to these in chapters one through three. We're going to take a lot of time going through this because it lays the foundation, even from chapter one, of, of why Christ wants to write to those churches and then what that means for us. Uh, they remain the background after chapter three, but all of Revelation was written for these churches and for the churches that they represent, including ours today. Uh, six is Satan. He is the main enemy in Revelation and is referred to as the devil, Satan, and the dragon. Uh, number seven, the four creatures. These may represent all of creation. They often appear. Talk about that. The 24 elders, number eight. They may these may represent all whom God has redeemed. Uh, number nine, the angels. They are active throughout the book. An angel bought, brought, you recall, the revelation to John. Though uh, they worship God and the Lamb, they declare judgment. They fight in the heavenly in heavenly warfare. They blow the second the seven trumpets and pour out the seven bowls and seven plagues. An angel, perhaps one, the one of Revelation one one, showed John many things, according to chapter twenty two verse eight. Then we have number ten, the two witnesses. These dress in black clothes and call sinners to repent. Likewise, they prophesy and declare God's judgment. We have the Antichrist and the beast. The Antichrist is the ruler of the beast, which is his kingdom. Sometimes John refers to the Antichrist as the beast. This is because a king and his kingdom are one. Uh, the beast has seven heads and ten horns. Five of these heads were in the past. Uh, Revelation 17.10, we believe that these represent the world kingdoms of Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, uh, Medo-Persia, and Greece. The sixth head of the beast was present in John's day. That head was Rome. We believe that the seventh head is a revised form of the Roman Empire. The Antichrist is the horn that arises to rule over it. The ten horns are on the head of the seventh beast are ten kings. We'll get into all that as we get into this, so don't worry about that. Just kind of giving you a little synopsis of that explanation in Revelation. Uh, the false prophet. This person represents the Antichrist as the Holy Spirit represents Christ, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet form an unholy trinity. Uh, the harlot. John tells us the harlot is the capital city of the Antichrist. The great city represents the world and its values. Uh, in John's day, the capital city was Rome. John referred to as the as to Babylon. 
to protect believers. Caesar was considered to be the Antichrist in John's day, but we believe there will be a final Antichrist who will rule the world from a great city. Then we have the bride. Uh, the bride is the church, the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Uh, the bride includes those who go up in the rapture and all those saved during the great tribulation. The bride is united with Christ when it comes to conquer evil. And then number 15, lastly, is there are many more characters in Revelation than the others. This includes Jezebel, the riders on horses, the woman, the martyrs, kings, merchants, sailors, followed by the beast, faithful witnesses of the Lord, slaves, rich and poor people, 144,000, a great multitude in white robes and all the dead who came to life, and people on thrones. Likewise, we, we meet things and creatures who act like humans throughout this story. An eagle cries with a loud voice. The earth opens its mouth. I mean, this is like Hollywood kind of stuff here. All right. Uh, an altar responds to God. The new Jerusalem comes as a bride. Finally, death and Hades are judged like God's other enemies. Thus, Revelation has a great and varied list of characters, and they all play a part in God's overall history and what's going to happen. So we'll cover this as we go through this. So on tonight's outline, let me just put this aside, finished last week. On tonight's outline, we're going to answer some questions. And uh, uh, first of all, why study Revelation? And I have blanks for you to fill in there, and I'll take a little bit of time here. I can guarantee you we will not get through everything tonight um, there will be a part two of tonight, just letting you know that. But first of all, why study this book? Because, church, we are living in difficult or perilous times. We are living in perilous times. The constant barrage of bad news has a lot of people frightened today and, and disturbed about their future. Do you realize that one out of every four Christian adults believe that Jesus Christ could return in their lifetime. 25% of you, 25, one-fourth of you, believe that Christ will return in your lifetime. Do you believe that? I do. I do. Uh, when I got saved back in 1983, I've shared this before. I think I alluded to it last week. But when I got saved, I didn't start out with the Gospel of John that I often tell new Christians to do. I started reading Revelation because I wanted to know what's going to happen. And I spent a few months just soaking in this book, reading it, and not knowing that there was a blessing, one, three, of, of doing so. But uh, uh, I believe that Jesus Christ could return in my lifetime. Now, next February 20, 2023, marks my 40th spiritual birthday. I'll be 40 years old in Jesus. Sounds better than my actual age because I have a physical birthday next month. But I'll be 40 years old. I can guarantee you this. Should Jesus tarry and I live to be uh, uh, 40 years old in Christ, as a, as a believer in Christ, um, I am 40 years closer to the coming of the Lord. Think about that. I don't know how, how long you've been saved. Some of you have been saved 50, 60, 70 years or more, maybe not that long, but his coming is nearer now than when you first believed. What should that do for us? It should say, hey, I need to keep on the straight and narrow because I know what's going to happen, and, and I can guarantee if, 
if I'm going to start this this Sunday, I'm going to start a sermon series this Sunday on the promises of God. But, but God is a God who will keep his word. And so everything we're going to study, everything we're going to read, wow. And I thought about this today. I'm thinking how exciting it is for us to live in this generation. I just read on a Facebook friend's post a couple days ago how all the disciples died, except John. John was the only one that kind of lived a full life, and even though he's on this island, because of persecution and suffering, probably you know in the mines, whatever. I mean, uh, Patmos was like 10 miles long, five, six miles wide is all. It was like a, they call a devil's island. And, uh, but John was the only one who, you might say, died a natural death. I mean, all the other dudes got martyred. And I could read you the list of how they died, and you've read the list, and I've used it before in sermons. But, but, but it's like, okay, it keeps our perspective. It keeps us, you know, in, in, in the right frame of reference here. And so really, Revelation is God's message to all of us who are concerned about the future. It, you know, it reveals, unlike what many would like to believe, hey, the world's, the world's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And so we see things even on the outside. We hear the news like, man, this is, and Pastor Tim alluded to this when he preached, and I thought it was a brilliant line, but, you know, his dad, when his dad was preaching, you know, would talk about how bad things were. And then we, we look at how bad things are, and, and it's like, okay, um, I, got, I, got, I got news for you. I know it's an election year for midterm elections, but what's going to happen the, the Tuesday in November is not going to change anything. <laughs> I, I really don't think so. Um, because both parties are messed up. The whole, the whole system's messed up. And, uh, and so Revelation reveals that, you know something? God is really the one who's in control. And they can think they're in control. They can, they can make laws. I mean, uh, with, with uh, President, former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago being raided, I just read, uh, last, heard last night, uh, as a tweet from President Trump from a different guy I read on, online where Mike Lindell, his phone was seized at a Hardee's restaurant. Um, and, and what's going on, the, the, the FBI is being weaponized against mega people and, and Christ, I mean, Mike Lindell is an avid, I'm a Christian, you know, and they're just coming after people. Steve Bannon, is it Steve Bannon, Gannon, Bannon? That was uh, indicted, whatever, and did some things that weren't weren't above reproach. I get that, but but they're trying to silence. If you disagree with what's going on in this current administration, uh, FBI has been weaponized, and so. But but you know something, uh, you guys are all going to bow and confess him as Lord. You might not be saved. There's going to be willing. There's going to be mourning. Revelation one tells us that. You know, there's coming a day for that, but uh, not, not to be concerned because God's still the one in charge and in control. And so I pray that you repent. I pray you get right with God and stay right with God and live for God. But if not, there's wrath to follow. That's what we're going to learn, all right? So number one. Number two, revelation is the word of God. And I say that to say, if we don't study, if Christians don't study this book, then we are not studying the entirety of God's word to mankind. And so we do ourselves a disservice by not studying this book, right? Would you agree? All right. And so if we don't study Revelation, our understanding of the entire Bible will be incomplete. And as I get into this, it's like, if you only understood how much theology is here, 
if you only understood how much Old Testament is in the last book of the Bible. And I'll give you some stats on that in a little bit. Uh, number three. It is. That's, that's the whole, the theme one is Christ the conquering king, his victory over evil. That's the first theme. Yes. Revelation. Revelation. Three, Jesus told us to watch for signs of things to come, and so this book reveals God's plan for the future. We talked about this a little bit last week. The Greek word for revelation is where we get our word apocalypse means properly an uncovering, that is, a, a revealing to uncover, to unveil. It would, be, uh, it would apply to anything which had been covered up so as to be hidden from the view as by a veil, by darkness, or in an ark or a chest, and then made manifest by removing the covering. And so we have this, this revealing, this unveiling that God has for us. And so really this, the revelation comes then to be used in the sense of disclosing or revealing by removing the veil of darkness of ignorance. God doesn't want his church to live in darkness or ignorance. He wants us to be equipped. He has given us this, this incredible book for that. Matter of fact, the Bible says there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. It may be applied to the disclosing or manifesting of anything which was before obscure or unknown. John, just some cross-references, John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Uh, Amos 3, 7, Surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants. Daniel 2, 22, He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. He reveals deep and hidden things. Daniel 2, 28, But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that's passed through your mind as you lay in your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. God wants to show us what's going to happen. God wants us prepared for that, all right? He wants us to know the future. Uh, Daniel 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belshazzar. His message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. And then Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do what? Follow all the words of the law. The reason, once again, God gives us this revelation of Jesus Christ, the, the reason that we have this is that so we can follow what God has said, so we can adhere to, so we can obey the word of the, the, the Lord. Uh, Barnes notes in the Old Testament says, the idea is that of a disclosure of an extraordinary character beyond mere ability of a man by special communication from heaven. God has communicated with us. God has communicated with mankind what he's going to do. Why? Because he loves us. Amen? Number four, talked about this, we'll talk more about it, but uh, number four, a special blessing 
is promised to all those who read and take this prophecy to heart. Blessing is promised to all who read this book aloud and to those who hear the words of this prophecy and to those who keep what is written therein. This implies literally a practice of reading out loud in the assemblies. We have to understand back in their day, they all didn't have their own Bible like we do today. And so these letters were given to the churches. We're going to get into all, those, all this. But then they were, they were uh, uh, read aloud, but then they were shared among themselves. And so it was a great blessing for the churches back then, as it is for us today, to be able to do that. And so uh, we are to uh, read aloud, we are to hear, and then keep what is written therein. What implies a practice of reading out loud in the assemblies and indicates the need to pay attention to what's being read. So when I'm reading this, pay attention to what's being read. All right, the blessing will come to those who obey the commands and the injunctions found in this book. God always blesses obedience. Always. Romans 2.13, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who be declared righteous. Let me quickly give you, not on your outline, but there, it was on last week's outline a little bit, but there are seven blessings, or seven, I call them, seven Beatitudes in Revelation. The first one is found in, in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. The time is near. Number two, the second Beatitude. Revelation 14, 13, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Third blessing, Revelation 16, verse 15, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him, so he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. The fourth blessing, the fourth beatitude, in chapter 19, verse 9, the angel said to me, Right blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then he added, These are the true words of God. If you've been invited to the wedding supper, you're blessed. Amen. That was number four. Number five, in chapter 20, verse 6, blessed, are the, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Woo. Six, behold, this is 22, verse 7, uh, behold, I am coming soon. Jesus speaking, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. We are told in chapter 1, all the way to the end in chapter 22, he's coming soon. He's coming soon. And we are blessed if we keep the words of this book. In order to keep the words of this book, we have to know what the words of this book say. Thus the study. And then number seven, seventh beatitude, seventh blessing, is in 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who, have, who washed their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Seven blessings found in this incredible book. Number four, a special blessing is promised to those that read and take this prophecy to heart. Number five, Revelation 
has the potential to change our lives. How? If we understand what's going to happen, and if we live the way God wants us to live, we will have a perspective on eternity. And if we get a perspective on eternity, it will change our values. Think about that. Because everything you see with your natural eye, it's all going to burn someday. And so we will have a, an eternal perspective, and it can change our lives. Number six, the final one. Why study? Number six, revelation will give us a concern for those who reject God and His Son, Jesus Christ. In His message, and I've watched this several times, I have it in print as well. If you would like a copy, you can email me and I will send you a copy. But Leonard Ravenhill's message, The Judgment Seat of Christ. How many have ever seen that message? He's at Last, Day, Last Day's Ministries. It's in like 1980s. And I have a VHS tape of it. I think I might have put it on DVD to sustain that. I'm not sure. It's a little bit grainy, but the message is there. The meat of it's there. I also have it in print, the, what he had to say. But he, it's also called, it's the Judgment Seat of Christ, Parts 1 and 2, Your Day in Court. And this is what he says. I find the book of Revelation a book of mystery, a book of majesty, and a book of misery. Because it shows me, he writes, he says, it shows me the final stage of lost men and women. It shows me that forever and ever they're going to be cut off from God. If there are a million roads into hell, there's not one road out. But if in heaven they continually sing, worthy is the Lamb, in hell the only thing they sing is, and he's quoting from Jeremiah 8.20, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Quoting from Jeremiah 8.20. No wonder, as we get to this, it says in verse 7, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. And the idea there is those that don't know, those who are not right with God, those that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It ought to say, you know something? We, the church, the followers of Jesus Christ, need to be about his business. We need to take as many people to heaven with us as we can. I don't know about you, but I still have loved ones that aren't serving God. I have loved ones who are living in sin and who are not going to heaven right now. And if Jesus Christ should come back, if that trumpet should blast and we're caught up to meet him in the air, there's going to be loved ones that don't know him. I don't know about you, but that causes great concern upon my heart, and it should upon your heart too, if you have loved ones that don't know him. So it shows us really uh, what is a final, uh, uh, final dealings with, with mankind that doesn't know him. Uh, let's turn the paper over. Backside. How to study. 
Revelation. There are three main divisions. And then you can see in the bottom of your page, I, I included a kind of an overflow chart of this book. It kind of gives you an idea as well. But as we study Revelation, keep in mind its three main divisions. Part one is called the church age. We're going to be dealing with that in chapters one, two, and three, laying the foundation. Uh, we are now living in the church age. Uh, it's soon to be over. And then part two is called From the Rapture to the Second Coming, chapters 4 to 19. It's going to be a terrible time in which to live. Many prophetic signs indicate that it is drawing closer. And so we need to learn what to watch for and what we can do to avoid it. And then part three is called The Millennium and Beyond, chapters 20, 21, and 22. I think some of the most precious verses in the Bible are found in these last chapters. I often use descriptions of heaven uh, at funerals, of no more tears, no more pain, you know, no more crying, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, uh, these last three chapters are filled with inspiration and hope for the future. Now, many believe that Revelation 1.19, if you want to turn there a minute, Revelation 1.19 is a key to understanding this book. It says this in Revelation 1.19, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The first part says what you have seen. Number two, what is now. And number three, and what will take place later. Now, according to this division, the vision of, of Jesus, the vision of Jesus recorded in Revelation is, uh, Revelation chapter 1, is what you have seen. So write down what you have seen. Revelation chapter 1, what is now is the church age. The message to the seven existing churches in Revelation 2 through 3. We have Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then what will take place later is the bulk of Revelation, and that is found then in chapters 4 through 21. That would be the divine judge in chapters 4 and 5, the tribulation in chapters 6 through 19, uh, the seven seals, chapter 6 through 8, 5, the seven trumpets, chapter 8 through 11, the woman, child, and dragon, chapter 12, the beast and the false prophet, chapter 13, the heavenly choir and angel evangelist in chapter 14, the preview of Armageddon in chapter 14, the seven bowls in chapters 15 and 16, Babylon's doom in 17 and 18, Christ's triumph in Armageddon in chapter 19, we have Satan's imprisonment hallelujah in chapter 20 the millennium in chapter 20 satan's final rebellion and doom chapter 20 judgment doom of the unrighteous chapter 20 the new heavens and the new earth chapter 21 then chapter 22 and the conclusion and then in chapter 22 so that's kind of the overall the big picture of breaking it into pieces for you in those segments what we have seen uh what what you have seen what's going to take place later etc now, let's, uh, i got 10 minutes to go. How did we get the revelation we have today? Here, here it comes here. Uh, revelation was originally written in Greek language. 
around the year 95 A.D. That's what most scholars will tell you. By 250 A.D., the entire Bible had been translated in what is known as Old Latin, but the first officially recognized Latin translation, the Latin Vulgate, you've heard that name before, the Vulgate, anyone know? Uh, did not appear until 382 A.D. Uh, the first recognized English translation, the King James translation of the Bible, was 1611 A.D. Now, since that time, there have been uh, numerous revisions of the King James Bible. Uh, I did a study years ago to bore you with some stats here, um, but I, know, I love it when people will say, well, I don't read the NIV, I'm King James only. We had a person that left his church in last year that, that didn't think I used the King James enough and wanted to go to a church that used the King James. Well, I remember doing a series on how to study the Bible years ago when I was in Owain, Iowa. The previous pastor to me had mentioned something to the effect of oh, the King James is the only Bible. And I found in my studies, okay, what King James Bible do you use? Well, the King James. I said, yeah, but which, which one? Which revision? Because if you want to be specific about it, you have to, you have to then, if you're going to be a purist, you have to go back to 1611. And I can hand you a, a scripture, a passage, I have in my file from that study years ago, but, but of the original King James back in 1611. It's very, I love the King James, it's very poetic. But most of us uh, understand modern translations better, okay? And, I, and I, I'm cautious when I say translation versus paraphrase. The Message Bible, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. It's a good paraphrase, it's a paraphrase, like the Living Bible is and, and others. Um, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand the Bible. Just get, your, get a hold of a bunch of different translations and read, read, read. Maybe this year read the, the ESV is a great translation, one of the most accurate two original, original content, original writings. The, the, the English Standard Version. The New American Standard is good. The New King James. I mean, there's all kinds of translations. When I study, uh, I use pretty much King James and NIV side by side because that's where most commentaries are at. But uh, uh, don't, get, don't get caught in the trap where it's just King James and, and this and that. It's like, you know, I don't care what translation you read. All I care about is do you understand what you're reading and are you applying it? That's, that's the big point to me. And so back to that then. The first, the first English Bible was the King James 1611. Now, Revelation is the last book in the New Testament. It's divided into 404 verses, of which at least 265 contain quotes drawn from the Old Testament and many quotes from the New Testament. One, I was reading this today. I think this is Stanley Horton. Uh, one commentator mentioned that Revelation refers to people, events, or verses in the Old Testament 340 times. Now, I said all that to say you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand Revelation. I mean, John, no doubt, had an excellent understanding of all the other books of the Bible. Matter of fact, um, where was I at today with this? And it's not in these notes. It was in something I was reading. But of the Old Testament, trend, of the Old Testament um, references, I think Isaiah is actually quoted the most in this book. Isaiah. 
I mean, you're going to see a lot of Daniel. We're going to talk about Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah. But I was, I was like, I didn't know Isaiah was quoted more than Daniel in this book. Okay, we'll get to that. Anyway, um, here's, here's what I want us to do. As we go through this study, I want you to imagine that you were one of the first believers who received the revelation of Jesus Christ, the, the, the letter that John wrote, that he was impressed to do so by the angel through Christ. Or imagine you were one of the pastors to receive one of the letters. What keeps me awake at times is being a pastor, if Jesus was writing a letter to baseline to, to the church in Mesa or Gilbert, to baseline Christian fellowship, to the messenger, to the star, what would he say? And what would he approve of? What would he rebuke me for? Because pastors, pastors are accountable. We talked about this last week, Bill and I did at the end. Because the, the, very, the, very, the, very, the very messages as you get into the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, uh, yes, they were to seven specific churches in that, in that region, but what Jesus said then applies to us today. In other words, what Jesus commended them for, he would commend us for. What Jesus rebuked them for, he would rebuke us for. Why? Because he hasn't changed. And I think, I, I think that, that we pastors, my kind, your kind, Pastor Jim, we need to understand the, the responsibility we have before God. And that is sobering to me. I said last Sunday, James chapter 3, verse 1, uh, not many of you should, should become teachers because we that teach are going to incur a stricter judgment. There's more responsibility for us as we do this. And so, I don't know about you, but that tells me, God, I want to get it right. Lord, I want your stamp of approval. And Lord, where you've called your church to repent, may I be the first one to say, Lord, forgive me. And wash me and cleanse me. And help me to see things as you see them. Because I, I, I just... A lot of what goes on in churches today, I think, is fluff. I'm just across the board, maybe more in the Western church, and Pastor Jim and I talk about this once in a while with the church in India as well. Uh, but, but really, I mean, imagine that you're one of the pastors who received the letters, or imagine you're one of the, the congregants in Ephesus or Laodicea, you know, who thought, hey, in Laodicea, we're, we're doing pretty good here. We've increased with goods. We've, we've we got all kinds of things going for us. We have need of nothing. Here's what I've determined. And I'm going to get into this as we delve into it deeper and deeper. But here's what I've determined. It's not so much what I say that matters. It's what he says. And if we can get a hold of that, it's going to change our perspective. Because I can say this but yet Jesus says, wait a minute, don't you realize that you're poor, wretched, miserable, and naked? You know, spiritually naked? I mean, don't you recognize those things? And so it's not what I say, it's not what you say that matters. It's what our resurrected, glorified, holy Christ says. That's what matters. 
And that's why I love, really, I love studying this because it, it helps keep me on the straight and narrow. And it helps me to say, okay, is what, is what I'm doing what you want me to do? Does that make sense to you? All right, and so that's the way I see it. Now, I'll, I'll, because of time, I got to close it up. But I want to I wanna tell the story of a young soldier who was walking through a graveyard. And he came across a headstone that, a headstone that caught his eye. And on that, on that gravestone, that headstone, was this epitaph. Remember, friend, as you pass by, as, you, as now you are, so once was I. And now I am, soon you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. As the soldier pondered these words, he walked away wishing that he could add this concluding thought. To follow thee, I am not content until I know which way you went. Right? See, we would all do well to apply this bit of, bit of wisdom, especially to those who lead us in this world, especially to our spiritual leaders. Right? Do they really know where they're leading us? Do we submit our lives to them knowing what they're teaching and their guidance and, and the direction? You know, where, where is he or where is she leading us? And so the Apostle Paul was most definite about his own direction and where he was leading the souls in charge because the Apostle Paul says, hey guys, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, be imitators of me. As Paul was called by the living Christ whom he followed, so he in turn called others to follow him in his lifelong pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as Christians, we are still called, every one of us, to follow Christ, the risen Lord. And that is very well described in what to, and how to follow as we're going to get into then chapters 2 and 3 in the weeks that follow. i got to pause right there because of time. I want to be blessed. So I'm going to read in your sitting out loud again Revelation chapter 1. And I close with this. As we did last week. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants was what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler or the prince of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God, and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, uh, uh, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the seven lampstands was someone like, this, like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me. It shows that Jesus touched John. He cared for him. He said, Do not be afraid. For I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I read it. I'm blessed. You heard it. You're blessed. Let's all obey obey it and we'll all be blessed. Amen. We'll pick up from here next week and we'll talk about um, what does it mean to follow Christ, the significance of the seven churches, talking about the exam and everything else. We're We're just still laying the foundation. All right. God bless you all. Uh, More about this next week. Keep on reading chapter one. You can jump into chapter two if you want. Bless you all.